Dotnet Rocks episode 607 with guests Ted Neward and Dirk Koenig. Recorded live Thursday, September 30th, 2010. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here's Carl and Richard. Hey London! Welcome to .NET Rocks! Wow. Oh my God. 40,000 people in this little room. <laughs> How did they do that? I don't know. It's amazing. Dude, I'm telling you, soccer hooligans. Soccer hooligans. Just yeah. think soccer hooligans. Some, yeah, something about the folks in England. They know how to yell. They do. So we are here at DevCon London. We are. Richard and I uh, with uh, two esteemed guests in this .NET Rocks panel, which I'm sure is going to be dull and boring. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, just kidding there. Yeah. So why don't you guys introduce yourselves to the audience, uh, starting with you, Mr. Neward. My name's Ted Neward. Uh, I do a lot of speaking in the .NET and the Java space, and uh, I'm generally not a quiet sort. Yeah, generally not. That's a good way of putting it. Except for today. Yeah. Derek? It's going to be polite. My name is Derek Koenig. I work for Canoe in Basel, Switzerland. do a lot of work on the Java platform, especially around Groovy, which is G-R-O-O-V-Y. The real way of spelling Groovy. <laughs> Not you with an umalt or anything. No. no, no. no. <laughs> Grouvy. Um, yep, that's it. Awesome. S- so what are we here to talk about? I blame you for this, Ted. What have you done? <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? Yeah. You just said, I want to run a panel. What should we talk about? And I said, well, you know, we can talk about languages. And which you are prone to talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't generally take a lot to get me no. to talk about programming languages. But, but the like, story changes month to month <laughs> with languages. And we find ourselves at this time talking, of, we're probably going to talk about some totally different things than we <laughs> talked about the last time. Well, consistency is the sign of a small mind, right? Yeah. But we put the title on this thing as Polygot Programming. What does that mean to you? So Neil Ford and I have spent a lot of time talking at conferences about Polyglot. And I mentioned Neil's name because I think he officially gets the nod for having coined the phrase. Okay. But essentially the idea of using multiple languages uh, at the same time to solve particular problems. So within an application. Yeah. Yeah. Within a system. Within right. a project or within a system. Within a project, a system, a solution. Solution. Yeah. The idea that... And, and, even even in uh, companies that are like all Java shops or all .NET shops or what have you, you still see a degree of polyglot. Well, HTML always seems to sneak in there. You well, know. HTML, CSS, SQL, JavaScript, script, yeah. XML, SQL, yeah. right? That's like, what, a half a dozen right there. Right. Mm-hmm. And so part of the argument here is to say, let's let's use languages. Let's just extend that idea a little bit further. Let's use languages that are best suited to the task at hand. So if you're going to build, for example, a web service API, build it in a more functional language as opposed to one that's object-oriented that you, you end up having to go through some torturous links. Now, d- does that happen in reality? How many of you, and not by a show of hands because this is a radio show, how many of you by applause will program in multiple languages in the same project? You say about a third? It's interesting. It's only on this half of the room. Well, one side of the room applauded, the other yeah. side not so much. Yeah, I'd say about a maybe a quarter. Okay. Maybe a quarter. So that so I guess it does happen. 
And um, of those who do polyglot programming, are you doing it because um, of the skills of the developers involved? A couple. Okay. I program in that language because I can. Because you can or you that do. That explains C++, actually. <laughs> so I so I have to assume then the rest of you are using different languages for their functionality. There you go. Well, that's encouraging. There you mm-hmm. go. So the problem, of course, is that at least in the .NET stack, VB and C Sharp are so close together yeah. that it almost made no difference. Yeah, yeah. So. And, and when I say polyglot, I don't mean VB and C Sharp. Right. Sure. I'm meaning C Sharp and F Sharp, and you know. Other languages, potentially Iron Python, Iron Ruby, et cetera. Wait a second. Isn't Iron Ruby dead? No. So, oh, so, God. Okay. You go just there. stepped in it. Yeah. You don't know. No, we're going. Oh, there. God. Dynamic <laughs> languages. Uh, what was that all about? What, <laughs> what was that noise? What was that noise <laughs> I just <laughs> heard? No. I, it, for ex- one of the things that I think the .NET space hasn't seen as much of, which the Java space has seen more of, thanks to Groovy, is... Interest in the, the dynamic languages space as more of a, a, a close to the end user language, mm-hmm. right? Groovy and Grails, it, it's, it's kind of hard to describe to the .NET community who don't have a real close equivalent, but Groovy and Grails makes it ridiculously easy to spin up a website very, very quickly, but will also scale in terms of a language. Now, you said Grails, not Rails. Grails, so G-R-A. So, just let's educate our .NET Maybe this is. Let's yeah, start with Groovy, because I think Derek, that's actually his job. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> he might know something Tell about this. Tell us what we're talking about here. Yeah, what are we talking about? What is Groovy? We are talking about the G, the G before Groovy. It's the, the G, G spot. before Rails. Okay. Really? Yes. So, um, what has been... Prototype, no, no, prototype of Groundwork. Um, Rapid uh, application. Experience wrapped up, introduced by Rails. Mm-hmm. Rails. Right. I usually make signs when, when giving a talk on this. Make, make, like Rails, like, um, like Rails, like the right. international sign language for Rails and for Groovy, like for Rails, like so. Right. <laughs> like a thumbs up. Thumbs up for Groovy. For groovy and so, um, Rails. Mm-hmm. is the attempt, I guess, the successful attempt to bring the benefits of Rails mm-hmm. onto the Java platform. Okay. In in a manner that is easily um, digestible for the Java programmer, if you mm-hmm. come from the Java programmer side, which means it's, it's not a copy, it's not like a, a rep thing, it's not like... It's the, the doing the same thing in, in a different language. Right. It is more, for example, in Ruby on Rails, you have the the attempt of modeling from the database. You're modeling your domain in the database. More exactly, you model it as database migration scripts in mm-hmm. Android. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas on the Java side, you would always try to model your domain in objects, in Java objects. Mm-hmm. Right. This is where you always. This is your main hub of information, and therefore Rails, for example, models the domain as objects, Ruby objects, which are essentially the same as Java objects, only easier to write, less uh, more essentials, and less boilerplate code. So that brings us to what Groovy is. Yes, and Groovy is the language that allows all the the nice uh, benefits of Rails. So is it a Java-like dynamic language? Is that what we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. So what what 
James Strachan, the guy who invented Groovy way back in the day, and this is like 2001, 2002 time frame, he looked at Ruby and he said, this is a really interesting and fascinating language. I want something like it on the JVM, mm. but using a more Java-esque syntax. Okay. So it's still curly braces. All right. But, for example, one of the first things they did is they made semicolons optional. And one of the second things they did is said, okay, we can, in one line, express a property so as opposed to having to declare the field and the getter and the setter, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Well, semicolon has been the appendix of the language world for the longest time, exactly. hasn't it? <laughs> and, and it the, the fascinating thing is 98% of the time the semicolon is unnecessary. The yeah. compiler could figure it out if it wanted to. Right. As a matter of fact, in Java, if you leave off a semicolon, not only does it fail to compile, not only does it tell you you left off a semicolon, it shows you the exact spot where you left off the semicolon. Yeah. Thanks. I'm not going to do anything until you put that back. Exactly. Green <laughs> MMs are in this bowl. I refuse to perform. And once, the, once the compiler programmers learned how to read a line feed, <laughs> the semicolon became obsolete. Well, and, and that's the thing is so many of the languages, it's not obsolete. I mean, it's still yeah. there. Your, your, your pinky now it's is hardwired to hit the semicolon right before you hit return. I like Chris Sells who says when he does a demo in VB, he puts an asterisk for a comment and then a semicolon at the end of every line. Yeah, I mean, you know. Because he just has, can't help himself. He has to put that semicolon in there. Your fingers just kind of twitch, right? You know, <laughs> the point of it is he... He wanted to bring a lot of the Ruby dynamism yeah. into the JVM world. And then he once he got to the point where he proved it could be possible, James kind of stopped. And two other guys, Graham Roche and Guillaume Laforge, they sort of picked up the, the, the groovy mantle, so to speak, mm -hmm. and from there built this web stack. That was Rails influenced, but not a copycat, as as as, as Dirk said. Mm. Well, and it, and it's interesting, Dirk, this distinction of you need to manifest it in a way that Java people will grab onto that this uh, Java objects is the way that uh, that those resources have to be delivered for it to be useful. Mm, yes, and therefore the the Groovy language has um, a very special property, a very special feature mm -hmm. that is it is almost a superset of the Java language. So when you have a Java class, mm -hmm. source code, you can, like 99.5% of the time, you just uh, change the, the extension from .java into .groovy and it will compile and run. Interesting. Mm. You can run it. So um, the goal has always been to be, to be very tightly integrated. No, maybe not. A lot of people claim the language integrates seamlessly with Java. Um, and I'm debating now, is this actually polyglot programming? If you've got a superset sitting on there, it's just a replacement. Mm, it has different properties in terms of uh, in execution speed, for example. Mm -hmm. And in... The point being slower. Yes. Because it's supersets. Most of the time, yes. Yeah. Can, can, can I bring it back to our .NET audience here for a minute uh, and talk about dynamic languages? We had a uh, round of applause for people who are using, who are doing polyglot programming. How many of you are using some form of dynamic language other than, you know, a language other than C Sharp, VBNet, or F Sharp, uh, a dynamic language in your projects? Clap, please. Okay, very few. Very few. How many thought they would be by now? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's Even interesting. Fewer. Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. I'm, I'm not quite sure. What would you say? What would be a choice for .NET developers for dynamic language? Was it Boo or? Well, well, Boo Boo had the 
disadvantage in many respects of being done by somebody outside of Redmond, Washington. One of the cultural differences between the Java world and the Microsoft world is that a lot of companies in particular, even if the developers are interested in looking at non-Microsoft solutions, a lot of the companies are not. And so Allende, when he did Boo... Andy Raheen. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, he, it was a fascinating tool, but a lot of companies, well, Microsoft didn't do it. So in some cases, they didn't even know it existed. Yeah. That's why Iron Python and Iron Ruby were so exciting to the, the .NET developer space because, aha, now we're getting some dynamic languages love. But as was alluded to earlier, Microsoft, the, the last two guys working on Iron Ruby just left Microsoft, and the question of dynamic languages at Microsoft has been now sort of thrown into the air. Although Iron Python shipped. I mean, they didn't make it part of Studio. It was a separate right. download, but it's out. And technically, I guess it's the only real dynamic language in the .NET stack so iron ruby well and this is where you know i've talked to a couple of folks on the visual studio team who say no 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 no. we are definitely not killing dynamic languages because the dlr the underlying support for dynamic languages is i mean it's a part of c sharp 4 i mean the the dynamic keyword in c sharp relies on parts of the dlr so they can't kill it. And this is something that Anders was talking about, right. is that it looks like C Sharp's going to get more dynamic, which really sort of flies in the face of the polyglot programming concept mm -hmm. of, is C Sharp just going to be the language that does everything you need it to do? Why would you use anything else? Well, and as long as C Sharp can keep from falling over, that's an interesting, you know, that's an interesting question. My concern is that the C Sharp specification, as of right now, is roughly 1,200 pages. Right. And as they continue to add more and more features to it, my concern is that the language is just going to fall over. I mean, it's just going to have so many features that they're going to start creating some incompatibilities or some surprises. And one of the things as a language designer you really want to, you really want to uphold is the principle of least surprise. Mm. I don't want to write some code, have it compile, but then have it do something completely unanticipated. Right. And my concern is that C-sharp is starting to border on that threshold. Well, and it seems like it's going in two different directions because there's also a lot of functional stuff going into C-sharp as well yeah. and parallel stuff going into C-sharp as well and then dynamic stuff going into C-sharp. Yeah. One of the, um, the workshops I did at TechEd was called Multi-Paradigmatic C-sharp. <laughs> what, do you, you get paid by the syllable? <laughs> <laughs> well... It was inspired by a book that James Copeland wrote about C++ back in 1999, in which he said C++ is a multi-paradigm language. Right. It's procedural, it's object-oriented, and it's got some metaprogramming facilities, specifically templates. C Sharp, by my count, has five different paradigms inside of it. Hmm. Um, it's got the procedural, object, and metaprogramming, and there's actually three different flavors of metaprogramming inside of C Sharp. Right. Plus dynamic, plus functional. Mm -hmm. And people said C++ was too complicated. <laughs> That's part of the concern. Is, is this language just becoming sort of a, you know, where, where language features just eventually end up? Is there a feature that Anders has yet met that he doesn't want to put in? Well, I think feature? having a lot of features in and of itself is a, is a, not a bad thing, but the problem comes when, a, when it's a matter of practicality. When you're actually in the editor and you're typing a statement and there's a difference between 
you know, subtle differences between features that right. can be represented by one character or, you know, the case of a character or something like that. Exactly. That's where it really gets complex. Exactly. This, this is where the, the Java side of the world, I think, gets it a little bit better. That, is, that was my next question. Do, yeah. do you Java guys do this crazy sort of stuff too? Are you just filling Java up with features? <clears throat> yes, Java gets filled up with features mm -hmm. uh, currently. And it has been for Java 5, which was uh, a few years ago. With generics and annotations, and generics, I guess, C-sharp has the very same thing. Yep. Um, which I think is, in my kind, is overly complex, unnecessarily complex. In Java, I would say, that's in true. Java, at least for me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd agree with that, but keep going. <laughs> you know, it is for, for, for programmers like me, which are below average in managing complexity, understanding and, and dealing with complexity. Um, it gets too difficult. Except for the simple ones like, you know, set collections. That's okay. But all the other, <laughs> all the other stuff, that's too complicated. At least for me. Um, but I find it fascinating that you're building extension languages on top of Java rather than just yeah. extending Java. No, I would well, say that, that the extension languages, it? like especially like Ruby, mm -hmm. they are the forerunners. And then time by time, there's new features. Um, they get consumed into uh, Java. Interesting. This is now for Java 7, which is due next summer. Oracle's going to ship a version of Java? Sorry? Oracle's going to ship a version yes, of Java? They yes. They wow. Be afraid. <laughs> Be very afraid. They're right outside the door, man. <laughs> so you know. It's going to come on a hard drive. <laughs> it last week at, at Java World. Right. Java One. I mean. Is it going to come with a guy on a suit who's going to install a hard drive for you <laughs> in your system? No, 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 no. He's going to install something right here in the back of your. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Matrix. They put a Java in your mind, and this, all those little devices that go directly into your brain. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, it's disturbing how comfortable we are with that whole concept, know, actually. <laughs> it's Oracle. What do you think was going to happen? Yeah, nobody in the room is reacting yeah, no. at all to be unexpected. Nobody's horrified. We see lo lots of things like the big thing is closures, which will not be in Java 7, but should be Java 8, which is new 2012. But all, all those little things that make life easier that Chad has already mentioned property syntax. Mm -hmm. Um, that we have a single line saying this is a property of this class and I don't want to write, don't want to write getters and setters and so on. Right. Um, dealing with resources, having something for resources, getting away with the, with the check exceptions and this, all, all those little, um, little changes. They call it project coin because coin is little change. Small change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, small change. Awesome. Cool. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and this will all, this has been um, explored with Groovy, and we see a lot of these features now dissolving into Java. This has been the question. Mm -hmm. The big one, the real big one is closures that may came as real closures or as lambdas or as, I don't know. Numbers. And is this reference the language closure as well? No, no, no. no. That's different again. Programming concept of closure. Closure with an S versus closure with a J. Right. Because you Java guys love that sort of thing. Oh, please. <laughs> yeah, really. I was going to uh, say. And hibernate. Uh, and, 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 and. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Never MS, MS build, MS yeah. test. Sorry, sorry. Go on. So, Microsoft I'm, Foundation I'm by, first. I'm by no systems. means knowledgeable in, in .NET or C Sharp. Right? Mm -hmm. C Sharp has this feature of delegate, right? 
Yeah, so C-sharp has delegates, which were then in C-sharp 3, they, they got regular lambda expressions. Okay, so... Very similar syntax to what Kirby has. You already know what a lambda is, so mm -hmm. they're going to be in Java 8. They promise. Okay. But they promised, like, to be in Java 7 two years ago or something? Yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair to Sun, Oracle bought them. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard to keep to a schedule when you're not sure if your job's going to exist next week. So, I'll, I'll, you know, that was not an anticipated move. I'll, I'll, I'll forgive them on that. I just remember when I typed in www.sun.com and the Oracle homepage came up. Like, <laughs> we got you now. <laughs> So this is an audience purely of .NET developers. There are mm -hmm. no Java developers here, but there are probably some listening out there. So uh, let me ask the audience, um, since there are no Java developers here, how many of you um, are, are, are going to be learning Java because of your job? Not a one. Wait a minute. Oh, a couple of hands. A couple of hands back there? Okay. No, they're That's just okay. applauding. Friends. You, you can admit it. They're really. applauding the fact that nobody applauded. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, a couple or maybe one. Because I guess this is the separation now. This is not a separation by language, but a separation by platform. It's JVM versus CLR. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I've noticed anecdotally is there's a lot more migration back and forth between these two groups. It does seem that way. Than there was nine years ago. When, you know, in 2001, when .NET was, was brand spanking new, um, I actually went around to a number of different Java user groups and, and you know, some, some nascent .NET user groups and did sort of a Java v .NET uh, comparison talk, and I've been doing this, reprising it every so often ever since. And one of the things I've discovered at conferences now is there are people who come up to me and say, hey, yeah, I'm a Java guy and I'm starting to get into .NET because the job market seems to suggest, mm -hmm. or my boss has said we're going to start using .NET, or we have to integrate with .NET. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing the same thing going the other way as well. People who are doing .NET get into Java not because they necessarily want to, but because the market, the... the That's where the opportunity is. Yeah, exactly. And it's not so much a big deal anymore. Yeah. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. We've been blown away by the uptake and the quick adoption of Silverlight. It's no secret, though, that the platform didn't provide for consistent integration with the web analytics services. Well, not anymore. As you might have already heard, Microsoft announced its Silverlight Analytics Framework, which solves the above-mentioned problem, but what's also interesting is that Telerik already provides support for the framework. Telerik's the first UI components vendor to offer handlers for the Silverlight Analytics Framework. Using RAD controls for Silverlight, you can immediately benefit from the advantages of the platform and start tracking the statistics of your applications. You can read details and download the handlers at telerik.com silverlight. And hey, don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash Telerik. Well, it's, I feel like both platforms are now mature. Obviously, Java was mature before, before .NET was, but .NET feels like it's mature now, so we, we all have similar pain. I, 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 but one observation maybe that's interesting, at least for me, is um, in recent years, I've been a lot of conferences which are pure Java. Mm-hmm. And then I recognized in, it started in Scandinavia, I guess, mm -hmm. there's more and more conferences covering both. Right. Yeah. And, .net. right. Yeah. and I very much like to see this venue mm. being, you know, .NET and Java right. 
Um, yeah, there's Java rooms on one side of the yeah. building, and there are .NET rooms on the other side of the building. But didn't we all have lunch together? Yeah. Didn't we? <laughs> yeah. And strangely, no fights broke yeah. up. Yeah. Really so, so lest we be accused of bashing Oracle or bashing Java, why don't we tell the .NET developers what um, uh, some of the things that I've heard. See, I'm not a Java programmer, but some of the things I've heard about the JVM that would, you know, made me recoil in horror. Maybe you could clear up for me. Like I've heard that the the versioning is difficult to deal with. I've heard that when you write a Java app, it can be tied to a particular version, which is not backward compatible with another version. So if you have one version of the JVM on your machine and another program requires a different version of the JVM, you might have to uninstall one and install another. Generally speaking, that's not the case. That's not the case. No. The the JVM is actually more flexible about that than the CLR is. It is. Well, when you install the CLR, right, it, it Microsoft has chosen a particular place underneath like the Windows directory right. where CLRs will be installed. And they right. sub you know separate it by version number. Yep. And then they embed some metadata in the assembly so that you know which version you compiled against. And they, and they can they all live all, together. Right. The JVM, you can actually do just a straight X copy of you know the, the the Java runtime, and put that into another directory someplace. You can live anywhere you'd like. And when you, for example, when I install Tomcat on my servers, I generally pick a version of the JRE and install that just right inside of the Tomcat directory. So you're saying that every Java app has its own it runtime? It can, is my point. Okay. And this is particularly important for like app servers because I know that this app server works with this particular version of Java. And I want that app server to use this particular version of Java, and I don't want an install to accidentally overwrite the public JRE, which is installed typically in some shared location. But does the public JRE have this version problem that I spoke of? Generally speaking, not so much. So, yes. Well, <laughs> it, it's... it's uh, Sometimes? Sometimes. It depends on what classes you're using. If, okay. if, you, if you take a 1.6 install and then install 1.5 on top of it, yeah, of course, you're going to run into problems because there are some classes in 1.6 that aren't in 1.5. Yeah. But for the most part, if you're forward migrating, right, 1.6 can generally one run 1.5 code. And a 1.5 application will run against 1.6? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. The one case where this can get kind of sticky is when you're crossing the line between 1.4 and 1.5, because 1.5, we introduced generics and a bunch of other stuff okay. that a 1.4 JDK, you know, doesn't support. I mean, the JVM itself looks at a version signature in the first couple of bytes of every class file that got emitted when it was compiled. Mm -hmm. So if I compile this with 1.5, there's a magic number there. Yeah. 1.4 looks at that magic number and says, oh, I can't run that. We're done here. Yeah. 1.6 um, looks at the 1.5 magic number and says, cool, we're, we're fine with this. So generally speaking, it's not an issue. There's not a big version. But it is an architectural there. difference where um, there's only one version of the JRE running in the public place on the machine, whereas... You know, the CLR has multiple versions of the public CLR that are side-by-side. We can side. multiple versions of the JRE. They do the same thing that the CLR does. They do. We have a 1.4 directory, a 1.5 directory, a 1.6 directory. And they can all exist at the same time. Not a problem. It's not a problem from the JRE's perspective. Let's right. put it that way. How's so, that but an answer? Okay. So where is it a problem from? A lot of times, jar versioning becomes a pain. 
in a jar. So imagine a jar is basically the equivalent to an assembly. Okay. So imagine assemblies without version numbers. And particularly because, yeah, particularly because. I'm making a face right now. <laughs> and it's not a pretty one. No, it's not a good face. So I go out and I download various open source jar files as part of my application. And then I use a component that uses a, a, another of the same open So how do I put this concretely? I download Hibernate. And Hibernate okay. wants to use a logging facility, and my code is using a logging facility, and we okay. both chose Log4j. Yeah. But they're using version 1.4 of Log4j, and I'm using version 1.5 of Log4j, and both of us have Log4j.jar. Oh. You begin to see the problem. Yes. And the CLR has, I mean, you could, you could make this problem happen in the CLR, but it doesn't happen quite so often. Right. Number one, because the .NET space doesn't have quite as rich a ecosystem of open source stuff as mm -hmm. Java does. Mm -hmm. We're not quite as reliant on the open source space as the Java community right. is. But the CLR but also has the version that. numbers. You could see that happening. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. In Java, there's what they call the jar hell. Yeah. I, I Just like DLL hell. I have been approached by it was SAP mm -hmm. to do something about the DLL hell yep. they have. So it's, yeah. that's the very same issue, I guess. And, and this is resolved by discipline, but the platform won't save you. It'll let you hang. The platform can try to save you up to a point. Right. And that's part of the reason why assembly's got version numbers. Mm -hmm. But I can still create a situation where this gets hellish. Well, yeah. and one of the things that, you know, we were talking about C Sharp getting all the big features, but there is a sort of... Uh, uh, a, 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 a security and knowing that everything is within that language. And, you know, when somebody says I develop in C Sharp 4, you know, that's one thing. You know exactly what's in there. When somebody says I'm a Java developer, you know, well, what flavors of this and that and, you know, this hybrid of uh, open source and, uh, and you know, Oracle-based tools, what IDE are you using, what all these things. So, you know, that's, that's where it can get... Harry. Well, it's interesting because the Java community for near on to two decades has seen that as an advantage, not sure. a disadvantage. Sure. Right. The the phrase it's both. best of breed. It's both. Right. And and you know, it's neither a good thing nor a bad thing. It's just a thing. Well, it's both good and bad. I mean, right. I can see good sides to it as well as bad. Right. Uh, but the you know the downside, of course, is that um, just is maybe if you're inheriting somebody else's project. You know that can that could be a showstopper right there. You Depending, know? yeah, yeah. I mean, there are conventions. There's discipline, as you mentioned, Richard, that a mm -hmm. lot of Java guys go through in order to make sure that we can all sort of get along. Yeah. For example, because there was never a dominant IDE per se, mm. Ant emerged mm. as the standard build tool, and all the IDEs over time basically evolved to a point where they said we use Ant as our build tool, at least. We recognize Ant as a way to build projects. Mm -hmm. And if you have an Ant script, we'll just invoke that. If you're starting a greenfield project, we can do our own simple build system. But once you reach a certain level of scale, you almost always end up creating Ant. And ironically, Microsoft does the same thing with MS Build inside mm -hmm. of Visual Studio. Yeah. And, you know, the desire to customize scripts hasn't seemed to emerge in the .NET space much. But it's comforting, at least to me, to know that it's there. It's possible. What is the next thing that Microsoft needs to learn from the Java community? What do you think, Doug? 
I have no clue <laughs> because I don't know what's left. Well, you know, one of the things that came up in 4.0 is the parallel task library and this whole addressing of how do we do parallelism in a way that doesn't involve the you the developer creating threads. And I'm wondering, and and I recognize the fact that you know the number of cores is going up dramatically in every computer. We've got lots and lots and lots of them, and I think we're going to have to switch over from a. Uh, threading by intent, uh, multi-threaded by intent model to a multi-threading by default singleton by intent. And I just don't, you know, we're not there on the .NET side. I'm wondering if Java is moving in that direction. How are you guys addressing multiple core, multi-core development? Well, there are certain packages, certain libraries, mm -hmm. open source and, and otherwise in the Java space. Um, just this morning, I gave a talk on this. Oh, very nice. And I wasn't there. I should have gone. How to, how to use Groovy for this. Ah, wow. Groovy makes it very easy to do this. Um, because you have closures and you can, in a very functional style, the, the point is being declarative in a functional style. Mm -hmm. um, hmm. Java, the language, is and has difficulties in, in having this kind of functional, stylish... Um, because deep down, it's very object-oriented. ...way of, of dealing with concurrency. It is very good at dealing with multi-threading, mm -hmm. but multi-threading is hard from an application programmer's point of view. Yes. To get this right. Multi-threading is hard. Concurrency is not necessarily hard. Mm -hmm. depends on the abstractions that you have. Mm -hmm. Ruby, the, especially the GPARS project, it's called Ruby Parallel Systems, give you very good abstractions. And then there's other languages that are particularly... Um, Addressing this problem, like the closure with a J. With a J, yes. Which is um, even more functional than Ruby is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting And Scala, one. which is like an object-oriented and functional. Well, and I love the fact that there's a, now there's a team building it for the CLR as well. So here's a language common between the two platforms. Right. Which right. It, that's that's fascinating to me that that, that would even be possible. Well, there are a few, like Phantom does, and Ruby, yeah. and Python. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's multiple. Yeah. Ted, have you done uh, projects that use both Java and C Sharp on the same box where they're doing some kind of communication, maybe with services or something like oh, that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I did some work uh, towards the end of last year, beginning of this year, for a recognizable name that I don't want to say without the permission. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and Coca-Cola. No, it wasn't that. <laughs> no, I'm just no, kidding. I then just, I would have charged them in Diet Coke and any, died a happy man. <laughs> anytime that somebody says a corporation that can't be named, I say Coca-Cola. Oh, okay. Well, no, it wasn't that. Yeah. And it was a, uh, a .NET desktop app that wanted to talk to some Java services on, on a back end back here. Okay. Where the back end was actually, ultimately, we discovered it was going to be physically co-located on the same box, hmm. which was huh. kind of a weird... And yeah. they were originally going to do it through web services. The, the the company had gone to great lengths to build these these huge. And this was where the web services story really started to break down because they had they hadn't even shipped these services, and already some of their schema types were up to like version five, version six. Wow, which is this incredibly complicated story. Mm. And the uh, the .NET guys were looking at this and going, "Okay, this is this is nightmarish. There's got to be a better way to do this." And for that particular scenario. I, they didn't care about any other platform. Mm -hmm. And so there are a number of different commercial and open source tools out there 
for making it easy for .NET to call into Java code and vice versa. JN Bridge was the solution we ended up using, mm-hmm. which was a vendor commercial solution. Is that but, sort of what? It, what's the technology behind that? Is this sort of a memory map file thing, or a... they could do a variety of different things? So if you wanted uh, Java and .NET to live inside the same process, Ooh. which is very possible. I mean, wow. at the end of the day, the CLR and the JVM are both just libraries. True. Yeah. I guess. And if you wanted that, they had an in-memory channel that you could configure. Or you could do it over like a named pipe if you wanted to do it fairly fast on the same sure. box. Or if you wanted to go across different boxes, they could do it over TCP IP. Made mm-hmm. a variety of different channels for this communication. And the but, beautiful thing was I could basically point their little code generator tool to the jar file and say, .NET wants to see these classes. Mm. And so they'd rip through that code, figure out the parameter types, et cetera, et cetera, and just code up the .NET equivalents so that .NET, C-sharp, would sit down, make a, an API call that happened to be line-for-line line equivalent to what you see on the JavaScript. It was a so very, like a proxy. very... Yeah, they just code-generated yeah. a bunch of proxies. And are the data types playing nice with each other in Java and .NET? Well, for the most part. There are some... There are the some places anyway? Well, for ex- I'll give you an example where they don't quite line up exactly. In .NET, of course, we have date time, Right. And yeah. in Java, we have date. And date time is a struct, right? It's a value type. Date is a regular class inheriting from object. Because Java, we don't really s- differentiate between reference types and value types. Okay. Which means that Java can pass null for a date. Oh. What do we do over here on the .NET side? Yeah. And so there are little Freak places out. like that where the vendors have basically said, we've got a solution to, to, to make that problem go away. Okay. And you just have to kind of know what that particular vendor does in that particular case. And this is one of the things I like about some of those tools is they've thought about that problem specific to Java and .NET, which is kind of like 80% of the interoperability concerns out there. Yeah, if not more. Yeah, but rather than falling back to sort of the super generic web services approach, right. where you're introducing a lot of latency and inefficiency right. to create compatibility that, that could be done a lot thinner. Yeah, that that eighty percent or more of the customers out there don't care about. Right, right. And so that's the advantage of using those guys to to, to manage that. Um, because again, C sharp and Java are so close mm-hmm. that really those those issues become more the exception than the rule. So if we, as .NET developers, find ourselves uh, with, under the possibility that we may have to interop with a with a Java application, we shouldn't there's, run and hide. There's plenty of there's, tools there's out there. There's tons of options. And, there's tons of options. And rewrite isn't the automatic answer. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. No, there's, I mean, I, I can think of a half a dozen solutions long before you get to... Let's name a few. Well, for example, there's IKVM, which is a part of the Mono project, which says, you give me a jar file... And I can convert the Java bytecode into .NET bytecode. No. Yes. Wow. That's magic. It, and it is magic. Now, the performance isn't always the best. They don't convert it well, but they convert well, it. They do kind of a straight conversion. <laughs> right. They're yeah. not trying to optimize this thing. They're just trying to do a straight conversion. Okay. But as a point of example, five years ago, uh, Michelle Bustamante, whom you guys know, mm-hmm. and I were doing sort of an interop tour. We were creating some material for MSDN Canada. And one of the things I did as an example of this is we created an ASP.NET website that used an IKVM converted JMS client jar to post messages into BA WebLogic. 
Wow. Total elapsed time to make this work was about two minutes to convert the jar file, and then whatever amount of time it took to wire up the ASP.NET website and make the Java JMS calls, boom, now it's over there in WebLogic, and a message-driven being could respond to those messages. Wow, okay. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. That's one of the simpler solutions. You can also do some cross-compilation. So I can take Java source and compile it either to Java class files using the standard uh, uh, Sun, Oracle, IBM, Java compilers, etc. Or there's an open source tool called JawNet, J-A-N-E-T. JawNetDev.org, I believe, is the website. They will actually take Java source, Java 1.5 source, and compile it into assemblies. Hmm. It's kind of a J kind of like Sharp. J Sharp, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> so whatever exactly. happened to J Sharp? They um, end of life it in yeah. 2005, which I think means in two years it officially goes away. It's, it's really dead. Yeah, really, really, really dead. Um, okay. It's only lying on the floor right now. It's bleeding profusely. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not an option. Is You're going to die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're, 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 it has a do, na- do not resuscitate order written <laughs> on the chart. DNR. Exactly. As a matter of fact. <laughs> my, oh, ex, no. my ex-wife was a nurse, and she could never get over the fact that I called my show DNR. She's like, do you know what that means? <laughs> <laughs> um, so another option, for example, is uh, there. Are, there's a number of tools that will be able to take your .NET code and or take your Java code and create proxies, right? JNBridge mm. and those guys. Yeah. Um, there are some tools that say if you start from an interface definition in our tool, looks vaguely like IDL or Corber or something like that, we can generate proxies to a variety of different platforms. Mm-hmm. The one that I'm thinking of as I say this is zero uh, C. They have a product called Ice. The principal who's involved there is, an, uh, is, is a very famous Korba guy. Mishi Henning is his name. And he looked at Korba and saw there were good parts about Korba and there were bad parts about Korba. So he went out and built a product that took out the bad parts of Korba. Hmm. And there, that works great, particularly if you're trying to define a contract between these two platforms. Um, in some cases, there are some tools that make it easier for me to take like a Java object and write it to a file and pull it back into a .NET scenario. As a matter of fact, the wow. aforementioned Java compiler, because it has a Java serializ- serializable library to go with it, um, I can take Java objects, serialize them using the standard Java object serialization facilities, and then using the cross-compiled code, deserialize them into .NET. Hmm. So I can actually use the file system as a channel for sharing data. Wow. It doesn't make it a good idea. That's just possible. Well, Hacky, tweaky stuff. Well, yeah. it depends on what it is you're trying to do. I yeah. mean, if the goal is to, you know, I've got a Java app or a series of Java apps running on a, on a, cl- a farm, mm-hmm. a cluster of Java web servers, writing mm-hmm. them to the, fu- to the file system, that actually serves as a very lightweight, very scalable way of doing message delivery yeah. without mm-hmm. having to get real complicated. Right. Because then system administrators can go into the directory. They see files aren't moving. They can open the file in a text editor, fix it, save it back to the right place. Mm. I mean, a lot of messaging systems started just writing stuff to and from directories. (laughs) Right, right. And then there's uh, integration the other way around. There's one open source project called uh, Java Com Bridge. Mm -hmm. From Java, you can call into Com objects. Which may be generated by the net or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. DLS. Um, and Groovy is great for doing that, by yes, the way. Yes, and the, thank you. Yeah, was, You're welcome. I was just about Yeah, but it sounded better coming Yeah. The, <laughs> uh, and this is the Java Com bridge, it's called Jackpot. 
Java countries. Mm -hmm. And then there's Scripton, which is the scripting facility of Groovy for, for doing this, which ends up being very Visual Basic-like, if you look into the yeah. Yeah. It almost looks like Visual Basic. Yeah. The old Visual Basic. Yeah. So I'm just waiting for a language called P-Funk. <laughs> well, you know, an interesting story about Scriptom and, and, and Jackal and so forth. Um, last Java 1, not this year's, but the previous year's, I was actually, I was working the Microsoft booth. Now, pause for a moment. Microsoft at Java, Java 1. 1. Yeah. That was right. That's pretty strange. But I had Especially worked, after that trailer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, <laughs> and Ted was working on the Mac. Well, <laughs> better. I, uh, Microsoft had asked me to create some demos that would be attractive to a Java audience. Mm. And so I had created a Grails application that was talking to the Northwind database. Mm. <laughs> That's great. And so somebody came by and just stopped. I mean, he walked up to the booth. He was clearly not paying attention. And he saw Microsoft. And he did a double take and he just stopped. And then he looked at me. And then he looked back up, and he looked at me, and he said, let me get this straight. At Java 1, Microsoft is using a Mac. And I said, oh, it gets better. <laughs> At Java 1, Microsoft is using a Mac to demonstrate Groovy calling into SQL Server. Yeah. <laughs> and the other demo I did. Then his head popped. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It looked very South Park. The other demo I did, though, was Groovy using this com integration to access the speech SDK. Whoa. So we could use Groovy to talk back to the attendees. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and it was just, I mean, because, you know, doing, doing speech in Java is one of those things that most Java guys says is just not possible. Mm-hmm. And no, 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 right here, blah, 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 you know, and they're like, oh my God, that's amazing. I had one guy literally was running the same script over and over again, just changing the string. He was so excited <laughs> the machine was talking back to him. He wanted to have a conversation with him. I mean, it was just weird. Wow. Reminds me of my TS TRS-80 in 1984. Shall we play a game? Yeah. <laughs> and then there's uh, a few trouble bun years ago. There has been Rock Pro giving its Rockstar presentation. Um using Ruby and Scriptum for remote controlling Excel, filling... Excel? Excel. Oh, Excel. I'm sorry. Excel. Right, yes. Uh, filling in random numbers and formula through Scriptum. Wow. And uh, emitting through the Excel um, command interface something. VBA, I guess. Yeah, VBA. Mm -hmm. um, oh, man. The graph of this... Onto a file, and then from an interactively developed Ruby script, he would show it up in an interface, in the swing interface, as we call it, and rendering the, the graph onto a button. And whenever he clicked the button, it would emit new random values. Somebody stop these people! <laughs> and then, talking about performance, he was clicking on the button as fast as he could possibly do with his mouse. Mm -hmm. And it was showing, like, without any... Um, wow. Just bzz, 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 bzz. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Fiddling in the numbers. The integration possibilities here are just, I think, woefully underexplored. And in a lot of cases, you know, like you guys had alluded to earlier, oh, I've got a Java app, and now all of a sudden... .NET wants to call to it. Okay, that means we have to completely rewrite. Right, mm -hmm. and that's, that's what most just, of us do. You know? And that's just not necessary. I mean, it's busy work. It's yeah. a way to keep developers employed. But I mean, a lot of .NET developers like me don't even know what a jar is. You know, it's like, how do you start integrating on a platform you know nothing about? Well, you begin by letting me give you a business card. Yeah. <laughs> that's easy. You know what 
what a cookie is, right? Yeah. Yes. So you know what a jar is. Okay. Oh, oh no. Oh, Java, Java humor. Java humor. <laughs> Took me a minute, but okay. <laughs> yeah, speaking as a Java guy, that wasn't good. Just that. Maybe that's Java German humor. I'm so sorry about that. That's funny in foreign language. Well, you're funnier in English than I am in English. Dad, why do we write in .NET? <laughs> For those of you who have not seen that trailer, it's the, wonderful. The Java community was that the Java Zone? It was Java One, wasn't it? No, no, no. no. Oh, Java Zone. It was out Java of Sweden. Zone. Yeah, it wasn't it out of Sweden? Was it Sweden? Yeah, yeah. it's Swedish. That's yeah, so it wouldn't be Java Zone. Anyway, there are a couple of there are a couple of conferences here in Europe that have done some movie trailers that are just they're just hilarious. They're just yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, what was the other one? The, uh, Lady the Java Lady Zone Java. guys did Lady Java, mm -hmm. right? But the one, I think, I think it was Java Zone, which would was been Java Oslo. Zone. Yeah, maybe yeah, it was Oslo. It was, it was, it was in Oslo right yeah. after we, yeah. right, right after Java Zone trailer. Just Google it and look for it on YouTube. It's hilarious. It is hilarious. It's, it's, it's you might get your feelings hurt a little bit, but it's okay. <laughs> By the way, not suitable for work. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> definitely not. Do it at yeah. home. <laughs> On headphones, yeah. in the dark. I'm, I'm particularly <laughs> thinking about the sound. All right, just saying. It's a lot of uncomfortable laughing right there. Uh, and I'm hoping my transcriptionist has a good time with that one. Uh, so I guess I guess we're we're just about done here. Do you guys have a good time? All right. Well, I'd like to thank our, our guests, Ted and Dirk. Dirk. Yes, thanks for having me. And I'd like to bring a big thank you for the for your podcast. I very much enjoyed a lot of episodes, especially the ones about Haskins. Um, ah. Oh, yes. With, um, who yes. was that? Was it Don Sign? No. Uh, no. no. Simon Payton, Payton Jones, Jones right. Yeah, there were a lot of fun with that. Yeah, Haskell is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well thank you very much And thank you for listening to .NET Rock .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions Providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter van by the FCC, yes, I'm a 